Senior executives know that to stay on top of your game, you need to constantly challenge and develop yourself. IMI's new senior executive experience delivers future-focused learning. Gain invaluable tools and insights in areas like organisation resilience and digital transformation to shape the future of your organisation. Visit imi.ie for details. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. Today I'm joined by Malina Rydell, a writer, keynote speaker and executive coach. She is specialized in well-being and performance inspired by the Danish model. And Malina recently hosted a masterclass here at IMI, where we shared some insights into this powerful topic. So today I'm going to speak with Malina about leadership, values and happiness. Malina, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi, thank you so much for having me again to be able to talk about uh, some of these topics that I find very important. So my name is Melina Reidel. I am born in Denmark. I've been living in Paris for the past 27 years. I've had a a corporate career um, as a corporate communication director uh, for Hyatt Hotels and Resorts in Europe, Middle East and Africa. And I wrote my first book in 2014 called Happy as a Dane that kind of changed um, my life. And I started uh, researching um, into well-being uh, and the and the link to performance. Um, the reason why I wrote my first book was that Denmark, um, so the country I'm born in, um, came up as the happiest country in the world on the world happiness list when it came out for the first time um, in, in 2012. Uh, so I've been doing some research for the past, um, I would say 10, 10, 10 years um, on how um, well-being influences performance um in in companies in teams um and also if you look at it in the bigger scale in countries um i today i've, I've written two other books um and they're also on the topics of, of, of well-being um linked into how we live how we behave and how we we get along with each other in uh, in groups and communities and um, i now work as an executive coach as a consultant um at boston consulting group and um well more as a senior advisor actually and um and i teach in um in the political science school in uh, in paris and I, uh, I do conferences and, and masterclasses as the ones I, I did with IMI in, uh, in Ireland. Thanks, Malina. We'll come back to the masterclass because we're going to have a chat about what came out of that masterclass and some of the learnings from that. But in the meantime, for those who might not be familiar with this Danish model of well-being and performance, can you give us a quick overview of exactly what it is and what some of the key principles are that play into that? So when Denmark came up as the happiest country in the world uh, in 2012, I, I, was, I was curious to understand why, because you don't intuitively think about a small country where it's basically cold seven months a year, and, you know, it gets dark around 3 p.m. Um, 3 p.m., yes. Uh, so 
um, the, if we if we boil it down, there are several reasons. But we, if we boil it down to three main reasons, and those are the, the sort of the, the pillars or the base that I use um, in my in my teachings. Uh, it, the first one is trust. So Denmark has the highest level of trust in the world. It's seventy eight percent of Danes trust people uh, that they don't know, so strangers in the street. Um, and when you have such a high level of trust, to, to give you a reference, the average in Europe is around twenty five percent. Many South American countries or African countries have a level of trust at 5%, so very low. So this level of trust sort of provides a way of getting along in society. Um, it's a more simple way and it's a more, I would say, maybe even caring way, at least to create a community. This is a very strong element that we need. So the element of trust is, is one ingredient. The second ingredient or pillar, if you will, in the Danish model is our educational system, where the focus is put on develop, developing the personality of the child, if you will. They, we focus on developing um, self-confidence and confidence in others. So the, the element of trust and building communities is already introduced at school. And we also want children to feel legitimate so that um, they feel that the value that they can add to society, no matter what talent they have, is important. Um, there is also a focus put on creating what we call psychological safety for children at school. Psychological safety uh, means not being afraid to ask a question, submit an idea, submit an answer, uh, and fail. Uh, so when you feel safe, uh, you actually dare to uh, explore, uh, learn, fail, uh, get up again, and, 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 and function as a human being in an environment where you feel safe. This is, is super important later on when, you, when we enter into the, the corporate world. Uh, we teach empathy at school. So we have what we call the hour of the class, uh, where once a week from six years old, children, um, we, we, they develop children's emotional intelligence at school with the objective of creating uh, communities uh, later at school, getting along with each other, including everyone in the community. And later on, of course, when we all have to live as good citizens in, in society, uh, having this approach of, of creating communities with empathy and, and, and trust as, as key elements. The third pillar uh, or ingredient is uh, what I call, and this ties back into the two first ones, but it's what I call um, having a common project with purpose. Uh, so symbolically in Denmark, seven out of 10 Danes like paying taxes. And this is probably very surprising to many people because in most countries, people don't like paying taxes. So seven out of 10 Danes say, oh, I, I actually enjoy paying my taxes. Why they do that is because actually um, the fact that they participate in this uh, common project with purpose, which is the Danish welfare state, uh, makes them it, it gives them a sense of, of meaning uh, to actually pay the taxes. So this is a sense, and essentially, if we tie it back to to companies or leadership, it's a, what we call engagement that you feel engaged in something that has meaning. Um, and so again, symbolically, you you find this in the Danish model by the fact that people actually uh, agree and enjoy paying paying their taxes because it makes. Um, it gives them a sense of purpose. So these are the three, uh, I would say, elements or ingredients that I would like to to point out as being the ones that that we can maybe uh, get inspired by and use to building um, good leadership models. 
I think us here in Ireland, we can definitely get inspired because I think we can relate to being a small country where it's cold very often, it gets dark very often. So hopefully we can take <laughs> some of these Danish concepts and, and put them into practice. Now, we will speak a bit about how leaders can embody these characteristics. But before we get there, I want to pick up on something you said about psychological safety. So mm -hmm. that's obviously really important for innovation and letting people feel safe and bringing ideas forward within their organizations. So what can leaders do to create an environment of psychological safety for their team members? So um, basically, the way I define well-being companies is, is, is very strongly linked to having a culture of psychological safety. So a lot of people now nowadays approach well-being, or even sometimes we say happiness at work, uh, with uh, installing, it could be little uh, baby football tables or uh, ping pong tables, or it could be nice coffee machines and, and even uh, vegetable gardens on rooftop uh, offices or um, creating environments that are amazing and, and creating events for for the uh, for the teams which is not a bad idea but it just doesn't have a big effect and and, and especially not on a long-term basis so um, what I try to focus on is actually uh, changing the behaviors and the way we relate to each other and the way we feel about ourselves actually going to work and interacting with other people this has a huge impact on um, on well-being and also on performance in um, in the end of the day, uh, and psychological safety. Basically, if you want to build this culture, it takes effort and it takes time. Um, but the three ingredients are self-awareness, empathy, and trust. Uh, the one you have to start with is self-awareness. In my experience, um, it is almost impossible to change any culture in any company if people don't do the what i would say the base work of actually getting to know themselves and, and and to have a decent understanding of who you are how you look at the world how you look at other people and how you actually look at yourself um, this is about perspective and this is about how we end up um, positioning ourselves uh interacting with people and to understand what your base point is how you anchor yourself is extremely important to understand your reactions, to understand uh, your emotions, and to understand the potential conflicts and misunderstandings you create with other people. Um, if we look at uh, what gets in our way in terms of well being at work or even performance, it's often the mental burden of having misunderstandings or conflicts. Um, there are certain studies that show today that uh, almost 90% of people say that conflicts are uh, either from time to time, very often, uh, or uh, constant in, in companies. And so 36% actually say that they're, they're super frequent and uh, very frequent and, and, and actually uh, permanent in my company. And so to reduce this, um, this this culture of psychological safety is very important. And then when you have this base of understanding of self-awareness, understanding where do I come from? What is it that makes me angry? What are my shadows? Shadows are the theories of Carl Jung from the from the 60s of, of sort of our projections, what we heavily or strongly dislike, uh, and therefore will enter into a conflict with somebody else who represents 
that value or, 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 or who has that kind of behavior. Um, so to get an understanding of our own area, if you will, or our own um, uh, personality, um, or I call it the navigational system, um, and then move into being able to, from that base, better see, understand, and accept other people. The way we look at the world, at other people and ourselves, explains to a very um, high degree how we end up relating to other people. Because this is the filter that we have on when we read the world, the way we collect information, the way we collect proof to what we believe to already be true. This is what we spend most of our lives doing, is that we have certain beliefs in life. And the way we collect or select or filter information in the world is based on what we believe to be true in the first place. Okay, so it's kind of like algorithm on social media. Once you've, you've pushed like, then you'll get more of that information. And this is how we become certain of things in life. And this certainty often leads to actually conflicts with other people because life and, and things and topics are often more nuanced than, than being certain that we're right about something. And especially because of the way we, we um, select and collect information and, and what becomes our perspectives and our beliefs in the world. Um, so this is a very important piece. Empathy is important, not, not I was, I was going to say, not especially when we get along with people, Empathy is always a good idea and empathy is always a nice ingredient, but it's especially a good tool when we don't get along with people and when we don't seem to have anything in common with people, but that we have to either function in a society together or function in a group or actually work with somebody that we don't particularly uh, feel that we have anything in common with or even that we actually dislike. And this is where empathy can become a very efficient tool because it's it's not very often that attacking somebody or proving somebody who's, who's wrong uh, will create um, a consensus or or um, a good compromise or a good culture or a good solution uh, in um, in companies so learning how to uh, step back actually try to see the person try to understand without judging but just understand where they're coming from and then try to accept that there are different points of view it is always okay to defend our own points of view, but um, shooting down people who are different is really a good idea, especially when you're in an energy of dislike or rejection. Um, the, the, the purpose of this whole exercise around empathy is to be able to take a step back and actually um, have preferences in life, but not have shadows. Shadows are, again, uh, very strong strong dislikes or anger even um, facing when when facing other people and again this often goes wrong it takes up a lot of space and time and actually almost never gives a, a good um, a good result the best result you can expect might be nothing uh, and the worst result is of course reinforcing um, the conflict that you have with a person or in a situation or in, a, in the dynamic of a, a group of people so empathy super important ingredient and then we have uh, trust because we need it to be able to function, obviously, uh, if we call it psychological safety to feel safe, we need to trust the, the other people in the, in the group. And so often this is again about understanding how do we, 
how do we build trust? I often ask the question, and I did this as well in the master classes. Uh, there were several hundreds of people attending in the, in the two in, in Dublin and Cork, and 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 I said to the group, um, who seems to believe themselves that they're a person that can who's trustworthy? And so I asked people to raise their hands, to, to, you know, if they thought that they could be. Um, trusted themselves if they are trustworthy people. And of course, uh, we had literally 100% of the people in the room raising their hands saying, yes, of course, I'm a, I'm a trustworthy person. But if you dig down and say, but what do you, what do you base that on? Prove it to me. What is it you do that make you a trustworthy person? Because as I said, the average in Europe is around 25%. I live myself in, in, in France, in Paris, and in, in France, it's 22%. And so often, in, in almost all of the cases, uh, I have, you know, very close to 100% of the people raising their hands. And so what is it that makes us believe ourselves that we're trustworthy people, but we end up with a, a much lower uh, collective result at, at, at um, 22 or 25%. So this is about conscious, in a conscious way, thinking about what are our criteria to to building trust. And when we consider ourselves to be trustworthy people, um, what is that based on? What are the what are our tolerances and intolerances when it comes to trust? Because we all have rules that we're maybe not conscious of, but we have them. Um, and, and so this is an exercise about getting um, actually getting them down on paper. How do I incarnate trust myself? What are my rules? What is okay and what is not okay? I gave the example um, to the group about during the confinement in France, uh, we were we were confined, so we we're not allowed to go out and we had to sign this official document on honor that uh, if we went out, it was for a purpose that was valid. And so I said that during the, the confinement, I signed several number of these documents saying I was delivering medicine to a friend and actually I was having tea with a friend who felt lonely. So technically I was lying uh, to the authorities and it, somehow everyone laughs when I give this example because most people did it. At some point wrote an, an authorization saying on honor I authorized you know I signed this document to say that you know I'm delivering medicine and then they did something else and so it seemed that in we ended up being okay with this in France this is another example we people actually cross the street and I think a couple of people said this about Ireland as well cross the street when there are no cars when it's red so um, this was one of the things that as a Dane, I noticed when I came to Paris was that everyone kept just crossing the street when it was red. And again, this is a rule that's pretty public and official and people would just, you know, get around it or move in, move it into sort of a gray zone or sort of you, 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 you stop if there's a car, but if there is no cars, you just, you know, you cross the street when it's red. So all of these gray zones make it, they make it difficult to actually navigate and trust and build it because it's not clear. So if the rules are not clear, trust, be it becomes more challenged or a bigger challenge to build trust because people might not have the same understanding of, of you know, what we should respect or not respect or what are the gray zones in terms of what we allow, even though it's not supposed to be the rule. So uh, this is a reflection on what are the rules that we have? What are the uh, tolerances and intolerances uh, and what are our own gray zones in terms of trust and are we good at communicating these 
how do we give trust to other people and how good are we at accept, accepting um, errors mistakes and failures this is a very important element when you build trust because if you're not able to accept errors and failures we won't make it because when i tell you that denmark one of the countries in the world that had the highest level of trust when i tell you that they have 78 percent trust almost eight out of ten danes it i also tell you that 22 percent of the time it doesn't work and so if we're not able to deal with those 22 percent of the time you never get to 78 because you'll stop investing in trust and you'll stop this you'll start distrusting people and then you, you you move in with that that dynamic and you'll create cultures of distrust um and so so in order to be able to carry on and actually increase the level of trust um we need to be able to have a culture where we can deal with errors and look at errors as opportunities to learn uh, and not as something that's shameful and so again if, if if you've been through a school educational system where errors were um shameful and punished then um um, it's difficult or more difficult, it's not possible, more difficult to change that mindset of saying, well, I, I made a mistake. Let's look at why that happened and let's try not to re re repeat it again. Um, so these are sort of the main ingredients for psychological safety. Um, if you want to implement the most important thing is, is when you work with well-being and performance is that you should never keep it an intellectual exercise, meaning that companies that define it and they write strategies and everyone can sort of talk about it, but nobody really actually acts it out. That's when it goes wrong in my, in my experience is when uh, it stays sort of as a, as an intellectual concept and, and, and it doesn't uh, move into how we behave and interact with people. Uh, so again, there's, it's, um, it's a long journey and you need to get everyone on board and you need to have uh, leadership that, um, show the example uh, of, of how this can work when you do meetings and, 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 and sort of continue practicing these um, uh, these principles in, in, in meetings and gatherings and the way we relate to each other in a, in a structure or a company. Thank you so much, Melina. Hugely insightful and detailed answer there and some great tips and insights into how our leaders can go off and create that culture of psychological safety within their own organizations. And now I want to talk a bit about entrepreneurship and innovation. So we said that psychological safety is essential for fostering that environment where people can innovate and they can be creative, but is there anything else that leaders can be doing to encourage entrepreneurship and innovation within their team members? That's definitely, um, I would say, a key ingredient. I often talk about um, trust, the freedom to be you, and, and the sense of purpose. As if we, if you, you if we take the Danish model as a, as a reference, um, so giving a sense of the why. Why is it? How do we contribute as human beings to making this world a better place? I know that it's a big concept, but I think it's important for everyone to sort of have that in mind when you create uh, a culture or a team and we want people to be engaged. What's the purpose and what's the why of what we do? Uh, I think that's important to actually um, talk about and, and make uh, and make the sense of purpose alive for people who work in an organization. Um, and then I, 
I firmly believe in authentic leadership. Um, I really believe that having people or leaders and also team members that actually are not afraid to show themselves. Um, and again, I mean, of course, again, these, if, if you, if you dare to show yourself and ask questions and submit ideas, it's very closely linked to psychological safety, but being authentic is also not being afraid of being discovered by other people. So, uh, most human beings, we actually, <laughs> we spend our lives being a little bit scared that people will discover who we really are because they might not like that person you know they say that from uh these are again theories of, of carl jung but uh that from 20 to 40 we become someone uh, so we become uh, get our jobs or we do our career and we become someone and then from 40 to 60 you un unbecome that person and you become yourself and and so often we lose ourselves in this race of becoming someone and um and we start playing roles and, and thinking that we need to be a certain way or be a certain person for people actually to accept and like us and so we can't we might get lost and actually be difficult to understand uh, for other people and hence again create misunderstandings um and conflicts uh in in with with relations not only at work but also in our personal relations and that's definitely not something that will um uh, do anything good for uh, for well-being or performance we have studies have showed um you're probably familiar with the uh, the howard study uh, that's the longest study ever made 75 years asking um 728 men about uh, their life quality. So hundreds of questions every year. And uh, the, the conclusion came out a couple of years ago, and it was um, the element that has the biggest influence on our well-being during our lifetime is uh, the quality of our relationships. And so for me, getting along with people, creating good quality relationships is probably one of the biggest ingredients in terms of how we live and, and, and the quality and, and well-being that we're able to enjoy. Uh, so I would say being good at this is a good idea for any person. Um, and if you look at it in the, in the perspective or in the context of leadership, uh, this is also uh, one of the main elements uh, how we get along with people and how we're able to create this feeling of psychological safety, of course, as well. Thanks very much, Melina. We've touched on values, but specifically in our masterclass at IMI, we did an exercise about values. And you asked everyone in the room to identify their own values. And there were so many different values that came up. I think the main ones were trust, honesty, and responsibility but there were dozens, people said family, people said achievement, people said determination. So what are some of the most common values that you see coming up amongst successful leaders and do ours align with those? Um, th this is the exercise that I do in my masterclass for people to get to know themselves um, better and to find their what I call the navigational system. It's based on so based on the values and, and that there are, you know, it's a thought process where you go through. Uh, why did I choose the studies that I chose? Why did I leave home early? Why did I stay late? What are the values that my parents um, gave to me? Uh, what are the 
why did I get married? Why did I get divorced? Why did I have children? Why did I work? Why did I choose to work for a big company? Uh, why did I start my own company? So all of these questions that sort of lead to what's important to me and what are the values that dominate, influence, and guide me in life. And so we asked the the room this. Uh, we did the, the exercise with the room and. And often the values that come up when I do it in a masterclass uh, exercise um, seem to be uh, moral values to a certain um, extent. So uh, often I see values like uh, honesty uh, come up as it happened. Um, it, it, their their uh, engagement is a value that would come up a lot. Uh, in um, some of the exercises I've done in, in France with um, CEOs and and sort of senior leadership, um, there's a lot of, uh, um, they would say, um, excellence or uh, perfectionism. Um, so there's um, a lot of sort of elite values to uh, being hardworking people. Work as such would also, duty uh, would also come up as a value. Freedom is a very popular one that comes up a lot. Freedom, independence, um, autonomy, uh, but it wasn't surprising that honesty, honesty, I think it was the value in, in Dublin, at least that, that one, uh, well, one, it was the, the one that came out to be shared by, by the highest level of people. What's very interesting when you work around these um, values, and this is what I, I dig down then and say, okay, so when we put a value on a piece of paper and we consider it to be our own value, we think that it only has sort of positive uh, consequences because it's a value. And then what we did in the session was that we dig down and we looked at what are the positive consequences of honesty? What do you get from cultivating honesty, making it important? And so a lot of people, you know, said, oh, it's uh, uh, you, you create trust and you you get um, good relationships and uh, you can be proud of yourself. You go to bed uh, with a good feeling of being an honest person. Uh, you're making a positive impact on the world. And so that's all great. So what are the what, what are the negative consequences of honesty? And then when you get into um, the, again, nuancing or looking at it from both perspectives, it gets really interesting because um, people said, well, conflicts, hurting other people. And so all of a sudden, there are all of these negative side effects to being this honest person that, that they found to be very important uh, or a very important value. And then it became interesting because then I said, how did you define it? What, what are the criteria to being an honest person? And so then again, some of the answers that came out from the room were very different. Oh, it depends on the time and the person and the place. So all of a sudden, honesty was conditional. And I said, is, can we be honest all the time? Should we be honest all the time? And all of a sudden, we had a whole room of people actually saying, I don't know if I can say that I'm that honest as I want to be. I, I asked, if, uh, there was an executive leader and I asked him, so if I follow you, he had put honesty and I said, if I follow you around for, for a week, do you think that there will be times when, if I follow you around, that you're not 100% honest or that people might not consider you to be 100% honest? And so with these moral values always become difficult because when you focus on them, um, it seems often that you get to live more of the opposite. So feeling that people are being dishonest 
than actually the feeling in itself. Uh, because we then notice it more, it's exactly the same uh, mechanisms as I described earlier on perspectives, how you look at the world, other people. And if you think honesty is very important, you will discover more dishonesty than, than a person that didn't have honesty on their, on their list. So often it ends up being um, what I would call a bad deal because Honesty is important, but then you get frustrated because you feel that most people are not. And then again, you have to look at what are your criteria to honesty? Should you just blur out and tell everyone everything? Or what are the rules of this honesty that concept that you have uh, put up in your mind? And so this is part of the process of um, being able to step back and be less extreme about our values and actually notice ourselves, I, I, I call it meta observations um, that are very important to uh, how we get along with other people that we don't just explode, uh, but that we're able to take, take a step, step back and, and look at maybe sometimes I can be dishonest myself um, and be again, um, uh, show empathy, understanding uh seeing other people and also especially uh having this good base of um of self-awareness about how we navigate thank you so much melina for joining us on the imi talking leadership podcast today and thank you to everyone for listening you can subscribe on soundcloud or on your preferred podcast provider to ensure that you don't miss an episode until next time